Hello, everyone. Good afternoon. Happy Sunday to everyone. Welcome to Police Off the Cuff. I'm your host, retired NYPD Sergeant Bill Cannon, a 27-year veteran of the NYPD. You know, folks, we're covering that uh, horrible story from uh, from Augusta, Georgia, the University of Georgia campus, and that's the picture of uh, Lake and Riley, uh, a nursing student, 22 years old. Uh, who lost her life jogging during the day on campus, a targeted attack by uh, an individual that the police did great work in identifying and arresting rather quickly, uh, this individual. And um, I think it's, it's really to say that it's upset. Uh, the Georgia community would be... Uh, it's upset the whole nation, really. I think it's become a national story, and and an example of um, you know a, a targeted attack by someone that just as the chief of um, the UGA police, Jeffrey Clark said, he just woke up this morning with really, or the morning of this crime Thursday, with bad intentions, you know. And then we ask questions, you know, and we'll go over this during the show. Who is this guy? You know, frequently in a homicide investigation, you do what I call in my canonisms, it's called perpology. Find out who this guy is, study his background, see where he is, where he's been, what his criminal history is, what his habits are, his work, his relationships, all of those things. And I think a lot of those things haven't been answered yet to our, uh, at least to our satisfaction. And we just think about, and all of us who are uh, parents, thinking about a 22-year-old girl, nursing student, did everything right in her life, on a student, had a, uh, an amazing future ahead of her. Yeah, there's some better pictures of her. Former cross country runner in high school, and that's I guess where that the running came in. And uh, it's hard to understand, you know, why did this young lady lose her life? And we can't we can't fathom that, you know. And then of course it takes on an air of politicization, and and we'll talk about that later also. But at first, I just want to also bring just our to the family of Lake and Riley, our prayers, our hopes, and our condolences to them. I, I don't think anything could console you at a time like this if you're a parent losing a daughter in, the, in this manner. 16, 16 years old, just, excuse me, I'm sorry, 22 years old, just, just, just an incredible thing that occurred. So we're gonna talk about the case, we're gonna talk about the police work involved, uh, how they were able to make such a quick arrest. And that's, look, I salute the University of Georgia police and all of the law enforcement agencies that partner up when these horrible things happen and they do outstanding work and they do it very, very quickly. And we as citizens have to appreciate that. You know, there's a, a uh, Latin phrase in, on the NYPD, if you're in the honor legion, 
and I think less than 10% of the NYPD is in the honor legion, but it's Fidelis Ad Mortem. And what it stands for, for you Latin students, is faithful until death. And I think that describes uh, police work, you know, faithful until death. It's it's sort of like uh, the Marine Corps that uses Semper Fidelis, you know, which translated means always faithful. So uh, just keep that in your mind. Anyway, folks. You're entering true crime, real crime from a police perspective, and you're, ent you're entering the off-the-cuff zone, the police off-the-cuff zone. There has to be some common sense. We still don't know who pulled the trigger. No, luckily today I'm not flying solo. I have uh, my frequent co-host, and I'm happy that he was available on this Sunday afternoon. And I'm going to welcome him to the show in a minute. But we have with us retired NYPD sergeant, professor at Albertus Magnus College in Connecticut, attorney, just all around good guy. Welcome to the show, Professor Mike Geary. Hey, Mike. Hey. Billy, good afternoon. Good to see you and welcome everyone watching the show. Good to see everyone. You know, Mike, I know that you uh, studied up on this case and you watched it. And and it's one of, you know, I mean, probably nothing can compare to the, the Idaho 4 case, of course, uh, with the perpetrator arresting that Brian Koberger. But this, this is horrific also. I mean, just whenever someone totally innocent loses their life, it's just too hard to understand. Yeah, Bill, you, me, Phil, you worked in, you know, various uh, areas of New York City, and you'd see uh, gangbangers out there dying all hours of the night, all hours of the day. And, you know, they're, they are someone's, you know, beloved brother, you know, um, uncle, you know, that sort of thing, maybe father. But, you know, you usually figure they're in the trade. This is the price you pay. You know, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. But in this case, uh, Lake and Riley is 22 years old. She's soon to graduate with a degree in nursing. She was going to go on and do great things in her life and, and do her passion. And that's to save people and help people, you know, with physical with physical ailments and things like that, injured people. That's that is something that is really um, should be uh, make people proud. And I'm 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 sure her parents are very, very proud of her because that was she was going to do. And that what that's what makes this so much worse than anything else is that she is a perfectly innocent person uh, jogging around trying to keep in shape. Here she is on on a college campus, which we know statistically college campuses are probably, uh, you know, one of the most safe places you could possibly be rather than, say, jogging in a city or something like that. She's on a college campus. She does this every single day. And here she is. And she has this, her whole life ahead of her. 
and and she's uh, you know brutally uh, beaten and killed by a, a, a thug. And uh, it just our hearts go out to the family. Um, and I can't even imagine. I have three daughters, and uh, just and my youngest is just a little bit older than than Miss uh, Riley. And I can't imagine what they're going through at this point. Our hearts go out to them. Absolutely. Uh, this is a picture of of the arrested uh, perpetrator in this, Jose Antonio Ibarra. And um, when we look at a case like this, um, this person, um, Lincoln Riley, was targeted. And it wasn't that she was specifically targeted, but this thug was targeting this jogging path, which investigation reveals he lived about a mile outside the campus. So he obviously had probably stalked to this area before. And many of you folks had said last night on the show, and keen observation is that could this be the same guy who killed Rachel Marin? And I covered that case also. And the MO, the modus operandi, again, was speaking Latin, unqualified to speak Latin, but method of operation. This is the... Um, the mugshot they put out on on the uh, on the other case with uh, Miss Marin, yeah, yeah, Miss Marin, and I don't think it really Rachel Marin. I'm sorry, uh, I don't think it really fits the description. Uh, and I'm not saying look, he could have gained weight, he could have he looks differently, but is I think when you look at the um, the cheekbones and the uh, the shape of his face it doesn't seem to uh to match up to uh to that to that mugshot you know it's not even a mugshot it's a sketch right so but keen observation from uh, the folks that follow us and yeah it's uh the the mo the modus operandi is exactly correct and one of the things that I want to mention in this case we 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 know that Lakin Riley died from blunt trauma mm -hmm. and one of the reasons for that is that she fought for her life. Right. She, you know, when we look at this case, you talk about there's an acronym, uh, MOD, M O D, in, in regards to homicide. And it's motive, opportunity, and desire, you know. So, what was his motive? Well, we, opportunity had the opportunity. What was his desire? Well, his motive, we think this was probably going to be a sex crime because there was this was not a robbery. There was absolutely nothing to do with drugs. So this was probably going to be a sexual attack. But she fought it off so hard that this guy took her life. And we don't know if they recovered a murder weapon or some a rock or something that he used to hit her. We don't know that. They haven't released that much. But... That's why we want to know who is this guy, you know? He's 26 years old. We know that he's from Venezuela. He's not in this country legally. Uh, he came into this country in uh, 2022. And uh, he came in, um, documents from the Border Patrol revealed that he crossed in El Paso, Texas in September 2022. And he was released for lack of detention space. Uh, he was arrested five months ago in New York City 
He was arrested on September 14th, uh, 2023 in Queens, New York for injury to a child less than 17 and had no license. And apparently what that was, we found out was that he was driving a five-year-old child on the back of a moped and he was pulled over and he was charged with endangering uh, a child. So that was that. So to graduate from, I mean, that's an irresponsible crime, but to graduate from that to an attack taking someone's life, you have to question, well, what did he do before he arrived into this country? Where's his criminal history? How come we don't know about it? And these are the questions that I have. And these are the questions that people involved in this that are watching this have. And these are the things I think that upset us because we expect our government, our laws, our police to protect us. And when they don't by allowing uh, this to happen and, uh, you know, back in 10 years ago, 15 years ago, that arrest in New York City would have uh, resulted in ICE being called to the scene and taking him and deporting him. That's right. The New York City police now are, are forbidden to call ICE when they make an arrest of an undocumented person. So what is that telling us? You know, why isn't our government allowed or why aren't they protecting us from the dangers? And You'll hear all other kinds of news reporters saying, yes, but if you compare statistics, more Americans commit murder than illegals. Of course they do. There's more Americans, you know? And and the, the, how could you use that to make anyone feel better? This 22-year-old woman lost her life, and this guy happens to be illegal. It happens to be they could have deported him, and they didn't. So you didn't protect her life, Mike. Yeah, Billy. It's not totally unique, and you know, and I do, and Phil knows, it's not totally unique that someone who has a fairly clean, clean record suddenly commits something totally unpredictable, like, like a, a homicide like this. Um, but it does happen. It does happen where people may have very little to do with the law, and then they plan a homicide for, you know, during a divorce, a breakup, you know, with a, with a spouse or a boyfriend, girlfriend kind of thing. Yeah, there are some of those tragedies, and they do happen. Um, but I would really, I'd bet at my paycheck that in Venezuela, there is something that he's running away from, maybe uh, the authorities down there. Um, this is a sex crime. This is an attempted sex crime. This guy was going to rape this girl, and she fought back so hard that he actually had to beat her to death. Um, she fought with everything that she had, and she and she gave as good as she got, and I hope she injured this guy. Um, but uh, I'm thinking... And I bet my paycheck that he has some sort of criminal record dealing with some sort of sexual deviancy in Venezuela because sex crimes are very different from other crimes because, uh, you, you know, you may commit a crime over greed, um, envy, you know, anger, things like that. But a sex crime is very, very different than all those other types of crimes, robberies and burglars and things like that. You just don't start committing sex crimes at age 26. I doubt it. I think he's got a long rap sheet back in Venezuela. I hope we find out about that. And if, if so, I, I want to find out about it. I want to know about it. If not, I would be surprised because I think he is a rapist from Venezuela. And I think he's probably committed more than what we know in terms of crimes while he's been here in, in America for the past, like, say, 18, 19 months. You know, Mike, I happen to agree with you. And uh, that's what's disturbing because... Mm -hmm. yeah. We as American citizens are supposed to be protected by things like this from our government. 
And if they sweep it under the rug, right. and you know, you, you hear people say that we are a nation of laws. Yeah. How about we enforce them? You know, because if you don't enforce the laws, what is it? What good is it to be a nation of laws? I want to play this video from the, the campus. The University of Georgia, where tonight a suspect is now facing charges and the murder of a nursing student killed on campus. These are new photos tonight of 22 year old student Lakin Riley. Police found her body yesterday behind Lake Herrick, not far from the school's intramural fields. Authorities say Lakin's friend called police after she went for a run, but never returned home. Right now, 26-year-old Jose Antonio Ibarra is in custody, charged with Lakin's murder. Police say he also faces aggravated assault, battery, false imprisonment, and kidnapping charges, along with hindering a 911 call and concealing a death. We want to get you straight out to 11 Alive's Cody Alcorn live tonight from Athens. Cody, you say police are still searching that suspect's apartment as we speak. Well, folks, obviously this is a little time. Uh, it's behind a little bit, but this is giving great information on what the police have done. You know, people have asked what was um, preventing a 911 call. I don't know the answer to that. I would imagine the victim tried to maybe use a phone and call and maybe he tossed it or broke the phone. I don't know. The police have not released that. Uh, hopefully, we'll find out more information. But you see some extremely robust charges there, charges that can result in uh, him getting the death penalty in Georgia. Oh, yeah. That's right, Jennifer. Take a look behind me right now. You can see UGA police, the GBI, and athens Clark police are still here on this scene going through the suspect's apartment. As to what they have found so far, the police chief not telling us, keeping tight-lipped on the investigation. On Friday night, UGA police announcing an arrest. Jose Antonio Ibera. In the homicide of 22-year-old nursing student Lakin Riley. This was an individual who woke up with bad intentions on that day. A 26-year-old. He did not attend school at the University of Georgia. Who the chief says didn't know Lakin, in fact, never met her until Thursday morning. I think this was a crime of opportunity. The suspect's apartment, which was searched all day Friday, along with several dumpsters and trash cans, backs up to a Coney Forest Park on the UGA campus, where Lakin was jogging Thursday morning before she was attacked. The evidence suggests that this was a solo act. As to how she was killed. Blunt force trauma. While an arrest gives the campus some sense of safety, this heinous crime is a reminder Evil can show itself anywhere, at any time. This is a heartbreaking time for the university. We have requested the suspect's mugshot, but it has not yet been released. Well, we've already, this is untimely. We already have that, but I'll, I'll put it up right after this report. I'll tell you, Jennifer, I think one of the scariest things for parents in this case is knowing that it could have been anyone's child out on that track. As you heard the chief say, this was a man who woke up with bad intentions and Lakeland just happened to be at the right place at the wrong time. Yeah, Cody, certainly something a lot of families are thinking about from that Athens community tonight, thank you. Lakin Riley is from Woodstock and people there and in Athens remember her as a shining light, unselfish, a young woman who inspired others. 11 Alive's John Shirek with more on the life 
the young woman lived. Private Tears Public Memorials in Athens and in Woodstock for Lake and Riley, 22 years old. Lake and Riley lived to serve others, studying in Athens to be a nurse. Lakin had been a UGA student, but in May of last year, she transferred to the Augusta University nursing program in Athens. Augusta University expressing its deepest sorrow. And the University of Georgia, in a campus-wide statement, writes, A vibrant young life was senselessly taken on our campus. Lakin's character and spirit, part of her legacy. She graduated from River Ridge High School in Woodstock in 2020. A scholar and athlete, cross-country coaches Keith Hooper and Mary Bisgrove say Lakin competed in state competitions. And they call her unselfish. With a passion for healthcare science and running, she will always accompany us as we run. Cherokee County School Superintendent Dr. Brian Hightower says, Our community and our world lost a shining light. Lakin inspired classmates and teachers with her love of learning and her kindness to all. There will be a vigil for Lakin's family and extended family here in Woodstock and in Athens and beyond. It will be at the University of Georgia Tate Center Monday afternoon at 3. In Woodstock, John Shearing, 11 Live News. You know, Mike. Uh, again, it, it, when you hear about this young lady, uh, Lincoln Riley, it just it, it absolutely breaks your heart. But I also want to address the other part of this. It's like I'm not against uh, immigration. I'm totally for immigration. However, I'm against open borders. You can't just let people pour into our country without checking them out, without them having some kind of waiting period to see who they are, to see you know, why they're coming here and if they're qualified to come here, that's what the law is supposed to be. And it, it hasn't been happening. And it, it's been a disaster throughout this country. And this just sort of underlines it. And of course, you can point, people could point out and say, see, illegal killed this guy. Well, right. But you're, and as some news reporters will point out is that, uh, you know, citizens, of course, commit more crimes than illegals because there's way more citizens than illegals. However, um, if the person didn't get in or was deported when they committed the crime, this wouldn't have happened. And that, that happens to be a fact. Bill, you know, it, we, we, we are a nation of immigrants. We've always have been a nation of immigrants, even before we were really a nation. Uh, I owe the immigration uh, laws to my grandparents coming over here um, and probably with your family too and many, many families uh, in that are listening to this podcast and many people in America. We can trace our lineage back to uh, different different continents, but to not carry, we it's not like we don't have the laws on the books and we need to create them and we need to create the agencies that are going to police our borders. No, we've had laws in the books for 200 years, we've changed them, we've redefined them, we've added police of all levels, and we've worked well with federal agencies. I remember in the Bronx, in the, in the 4-6, when I was a rookie cop, calling up uh, Immigration Naturalization Service anytime I arrested someone who I suspected was an illegal immigrant. I'd give them my name, the perp's name, uh, his date of birth, and his arrest number in the Bronx, and tell them, okay, you know, if you want, if he, if he is illegal, you can pick him up. You know, be, be our guest. That was something that you did every single time you brought a perp to central booking and you thought they were uh, not, they thought they were illegal. We shot ourselves in the foot 
and it's our own fault. And and it's it's really sad that this is what it has come down to. If he had been detained at El Paso and turned around and told to get and stay in Mexico while you await your request, he wouldn't have gotten in. If he had been arrested in New York and then they notified Immigration Naturalization Service, ICE, they could have come and deported him back to Venezuela. Um, you know, it's interesting that Venezuela, I think, isn't even going to take any more of the illegal immigrants back. Um, and, and that's frightening because. Um, well, Mike, that's because they're not giving us their best. They're giving no, us, no, they're their giving us the worst. Yeah, yeah, we're not getting and, their PhDs. Yeah. Yeah. We're not, so we're not we're, getting. It's our own fault. It's our nation's. It's our own. It's our own fault. Not as voters, but as taxpayers, we're getting shafted. That's just the basic bottom line. It's uh, it's just it's just incredible, and it's it, it's it's a horror show. You know, I just tell a quick story. A month before I came on the police department, I was held up at gunpoint. Uh, my brother and I, and there's a whole long story to it, but we wound up being forced into an apartment. And uh, when the guy was going to start tying us up we jumped him and he fired four shots at us and my brother got hit in the stomach. We disarmed, we disarmed him and held him for the police. Lo and behold, he was an illegal here from the Dominican Republic. Uh, he was on parole for murder. He was a bad guy. This was 1984. And uh, so he wound up getting sentenced to a very long prison sentence, but they kept trying to parole him. And I kept writing letters to the parole board imploring them not to let him out. And I kept him in jail for, I think, 22 years with my letters. Good. And when the 22nd year came up, I wrote to ICE and I said, listen, this guy's an illegal. And ICE was waiting outside of Sing Sing. And as soon as he walked out, they put handcuffs on him and they deported him back uh, to the country, his country of origin. So you may have said I was vindictive, but you know something? I got shot at. This guy meant to kill me. And that's when the law used to work. They deported right. him. He's never been back in this country again. And uh, that's the way the system is supposed to work. And however, it does not work because no one's following the law. We're a country of laws that doesn't follow the law. And that's where the rubber hits the road. And that's where it, it's a little bit, uh, it's ugly. It's ugly out there, you know. And it's, let me play a little bit of this here. The list is um, extensive, Phil. And you know it can always grow right they have Thank the right you. to add charges later I the charges. Rape on this charge i wanted to get your take seeing that list and what story that list tells us well good evening ashley i will tell you what it tells me is that the uh, they had asked the chief what was the motivation here and he said there was no known motivation now there has to be motivation there's uh, three reasons why people murder people sex drugs or money Obviously, I don't think there's a drug component here. I don't think that he was there hijacking her. So that leaves the sexual assault part of this uh, as a component. I, it's my speculation, based on what we know, that this assembly of charges here is, is to ensure that he's going to be tried for a capital crime. And yes, the death penalty will apply. So it'll be up to the prosecutors to see if they're going to pursue that. But the reason you don't see sexual assault here is because it didn't happen. And I think that what this suspect's motivation was, she may have been a random target, and this the chief used an opportunist, uh, a, a, a crime of opportunity. 
which it was, but I, I got to believe that this guy has been scoping this area out. It's next to the intramural fields. He knows that these college students are running across this area all the time. And he was there looking for this opportunity. And unfortunately, here comes Lakin. And it was the time for him to strike. And I think that the oh. reason you have to do sexual assault is because she fought him with such ferocity, he wasn't able to accomplish what he was seeking to do. God, I hope so. And I hope that, you know, they've got DNA under. You know, Mike, uh, one of the things I wanted to mention too, and uh, I was, I am one of the biggest proponents of, of anti-crime. And uh, okay. it was one of the most successful programs in uh, NYPD history. And what it was simply was plainclothes units that went out into a precinct. Many units like citywide anti-crime targeted guns, taxi robberies, that type of thing. And many precincts that had uh, more of like street robberies and grand losses, that type of thing. Anti-crime could blend in with the population, you know, right. not dress like a cop, not wear a stupid NYPD hat like I'm wearing right now, but blend in with the crowd and actually uh, be able to uh, observe the crime and observe suspicious activity. This guy, Jose Ibarra, I would have spotted him in two seconds and I would have surveilled him and I would have known that he was up to no good by his body language by him having no purpose out there other than watching people, watching someone go by, turning his head, just the whole body lingo they give that someone that's a rob or committing a crime gives. And, you know, I don't know if a college campus has plainclothes units. The NYP doesn't have anti-crime anymore. No. People objected to it. It was too effective. They were locking too many people up, you know. And, I, I mean, I'm giving the police point of view. Obviously, the people that got rid of anti-crime think it was – way too intrusive. There was too much stop, question, and frisk going on. And they got rid of one of the most effective units in the NYPD. And just to say, you know, in a community like this, a college community, this would have been so, so effective to have a plainclothes unit. They would have spotted this guy. Yeah, Billy, uh, it, one of the problems is, you know, college campuses are, are statistically some of the safest places in the world to be. I know my own college you know, people are walking around and you don't think twice about your your uh, your safety because it's a place you've known. I've been there for 20 years. The students are there two, three, four years. They get to know everybody. They might not know everybody's name, but they know they know they see people. Hey, how are you? You know, you don't really think twice about who's following you around because there's generally people in the area and it's fairly well lit and everybody's on this in their little, uh, you know, protected space and so it would have been terrific if you know thinking about ahead time if they did have occasionally someone uh you know some security in a in a, in a jogging suit just happen to just jog by some of the quietest um loneliest areas because the, where the lake was and the running path was it was off to the back or something like that it was still part of the campus but it wasn't like in the middle it probably wasn't that well lit the students and everyone there, they were perfectly fine with it because they're used to it. It's just like you see students running, walking. You see even people uh, from outside the community uh, walking their dog or, or, you know, walking around older people. Everybody's got this feeling like we are perfectly 
100% safe here. Um, and um, so that unfortunately, you know, our, their guard was down uh, because of the lack of any kind of real crime, violent crime taking place on that campus. But if there had been, or, you know, hopefully this will, uh, there will be more people uh, with more cameras and maybe some better lighting, things like that. But yeah, I, I, we wish now that they had had it, but we can understand why they didn't. It was just such a, a, a great place to be, such a safe place to be, you know? You know, Mike, you, as you look at his uh, mugshot on the screen, could he be a student? Absolutely. Absolutely. Sure. He could blend in as a student. You know mm -hmm. what separates him from that? His body language, his actions, mm -hmm. what he was right. doing by that jogging path. You know, was he carrying a backpack with books in it? Or, you know, yeah, was he was walking he somewhere? Right. Was he going somewhere? Did he have a purpose? No, mm -hmm. he was lurking. He was right. seeking like an animal. Watching right. for a victim to come by, a victim that he felt that he could take control over rather easily. So those are the things that good anti-crime cops are trained to observe and trained to act upon. And I'm not saying, look, that the University of Georgia is remiss for not having a plain clothes. No, no. I'm just saying that an effective deterrent to this is a plain clothes unit that can blend in in this college community. Uh, it's it's just you know, this whole case is just horrific, folks. This is police off the cuff, real crime stories. If you like real crime, true crime from a police perspective, then you're in the right place. And if you're not subscribed to us, go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, ring that bell, hit that like button, share us with your friends and your family. And if you want to contribute to us, we have a Patreon with three different levels, and we also have a YouTube uh, channel memberships with count them five different levels and we appreciate all our fans our subscribers our supporters and they enable this channel to survive and to be what we are i don't know what exactly we are but we think we do a pretty good job um so mike uh you know they the family spoke out i want to play a little bit of this uh they they addressed um the sisters their sisters that this is the sister of lake and riley uh Going to speak on here. Riley lived with her family in Woodstock. That is also where she went to high school. Fox News Anjali Proctor continues our team coverage from River Ridge High School in Woodstock with a closer look at Riley's life. Angelique. Good evening to you both. Lake and Riley was described as a shining light. She was very close to her younger sister who posted about their relationship today on social media. Lake and Riley's younger sister, Lauren Phillips, shared an Instagram post of the two as children Friday. It reads in part, the best sister and my built-in best friend from the very first second. This isn't fair and I will never understand it, but I know you are in heaven. Neighbors of the 22-year-old just can't fathom what happened either. We were heartbroken because we have a daughter that could very well be in that situation. Um, our, just, our heart goes out to the family. I just can't even imagine. Sanctuary neighbor Jill Harville says the death really hit home for her family. Her daughter works in Athens and contacted her about Lakin's death Thursday. 
think of the young ladies that you know there and you know it just it makes me worried i mean i grew up my mom always said you you do everything in numbers you never do anything by yourself so and that's what i've taught my daughter i'm just just heartbroken for the family just i can't even imagine what they're going through lakin was a 2020 graduate of river ridge high school where she ran cross country and track the Cherokee County Superintendent released a statement that says, in part, our community and our world lost a shining light. An outstanding scholar-athlete, Lakin inspired classmates and teachers with her love of learning and her kindness to all. Back in the neighborhood, Mrs. Harville is a UGA fan who has spent lots of weekends in Athens. You just never know. You have to leave it in God's hands. He loves them more than we do. We won't ever understand why things like this happen, but he has a plan, he has a purpose. And they've just got to cling to, cling to that. Now the school district was closed today for winter break, but a spokesperson says when they reopen, they will provide counseling for anyone who needs it. We are live in Cherokee County, Angelique Proctor. So, as you could see, she was sort of like a uh, a shining star in that neighborhood, a pillar of the neighborhood. Hard to explain, hard to, uh, I guess, counsel students that are going to need counseling as, as to why this happened. And maybe if you if you think you're a student on that campus and you're thinking of yourself and your friends, fear, fear as to why did this happen and can this happen again? What could have been done to prevent this? That's all the things that you always hear right. after these situations happen. But uh, as you said, most college campuses are the safest um, places to be on this earth. But things can happen. You know, things can absolutely happen. And it did happen. The picture I'm showing on the screen right now, that's Jose Ibarra in, uh, I think it's in 2023, obviously in Times Square. Uh and then the picture to the right is him getting arrested. I believe that's on on uh, on Friday, and of course on top is 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 like in Riley. But you know, just uh, response, the police response to this was um, nothing less than than outstanding. It was an all hands on deck thing. Uh, there's obviously investigative protocols you follow. Most colleges have a robust video system, uh, meaning there are cameras everywhere. So they somehow were able to track him where his entrance, his exit, and they had him very quickly uh, after this horrific attack. And they were also able to conduct a search warrant on his home, unknown right now, it's not totally updated, unknown what they recovered in that search warrant, but people think sometimes that aren't in law enforcement that, oh, he's arrested. The case is over. No, it's not over. It's just beginning. Now we got to build this case against this guy because we would like to see him get the death penalty, you know, and you want to build as strong a case as you have. So, again, it's cliche, but cross your T's and dot your I's. Mike. Yeah, Billy, the uh, UGA uh, security and the, the the county police and the Athens police, they did a fabulous job, you know, thumbs up to them because um, they got the call, um, you know, UG, UGA security got the call about 11 something, uh, maybe about noon, 
because um, Lakin hadn't been back from her morning jog. And it wasn't like a 4 a.m. jog. It was a jog during daylight hours. And uh, her roommate uh, said, you know, called, said that she, she's worried about her. They went out and within about 15 or 20 minutes, because they knew, you know, they were told where she might be jogging. They found poor Lake in there. She was unconscious. She was she was dead. She wasn't breathing. And from that point on, immediately they probably did the the uh, videotape, going back, checking the records, uh, seeing you know what possible escape routes from that area. Where would somebody go? Uh, you look around. Okay, would I go into the woods over there? Would I climb over that fence? Would I head back towards you know the more um, uh, populous part of campus if I was going to kill someone and then run away? They did a fabulous job. They got this guy within like 48 hours. It was really terrific, hands-on work. Um, you know, we've, we've, we've seen this before. When you have missing persons, uh, and especially if there's a young person involved, um, you know, uh, the police are very enthusiastic, enthusiastic to do this. They'll, they'll, you know, they'll do whatever they got to do to do this. There's nobody, nobody wants to go home thinking, I haven't found this person yet. They did a great job. Uh, you know, thumbs up to them. And now, as you say, the, the real part begins trying to figure out the, you know, why this happened, how it could have happened. You know, the, check his cell phone. Has he been taking pictures of Lincoln or other girls or who has he been? Where are those pictures taken from? We could place him then on the campus at different dates because, you know, your photographs are time stamped and, and location stamped. So that's something really terrific. Has he communicated about girls on this campus? Or, or with anyone else, or a, a girl in particular, or something like that. Um, you know, you want to know all of those things, and uh, that helps figure out how exactly this happened. Was he there every day, just waiting for some girl to come by? When even if it was daylight hours, was there a time when you know classes were in session, and perhaps there'd be a lonely jogger just just you know jogging around? feeling that, okay, I'm going to jog for 45 minutes. It's early, you know, it's late in the morning, but still daylight. I'm not, it's not 11 o'clock at night, 4 a.m. You want to know all those things. Like you say, cross your T's, dot your I's, so that when you go to court, you go present this before the grand jury. If you go to trial on this, you want to uh, have, you know, uh, all loose ends tied up so that you know every single thing about this case and that you can present this to a jury and that you can get a conviction. 100%, Mike. He was denied bond in court the other day. Let's play and hear this. Details about the man charged and the murder of UGA nursing student Lakin Riley. Fox 5's Kim Leffler has been covering this story for days, Kim. You've confirmed that the suspect was in the country illegally. Good evening. Good evening. Yes, Jose Antonio Ibarra faces several charges, including malice murder and the death of 22-year-old Lincoln Riley on the UGA campus. Now, Fox News has confirmed he was in the country illegally. We've also learned his brother was arrested for having a fake green card, which he used to get a very brief job at a dining hall on the UGA campus. That's interesting, Mike. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, he, he lived with his brother. They lived about a mile away. His brother had uh, gotten a job on the UGA campus through using a what we would call a forged instrument, right? a fake green card. And I guess it, it fooled the college for a while. And perhaps they checked with Border Patrol or ICE to see his uh, immigration status. And they found out that it, in fact, was a phony. So, uh, but interesting. 
yeah, that would give him the opportunity, perhaps, living with his brother, to see the campus and to get familiar with the campus. If you're going to hunt down humans, you want to figure out the place, you know, where where's it? I hate to be crass, but you want to see where the target-rich environment is, where you can get in and get out quickly. So that perhaps that time that the brother had that uh, ability to be on campus, maybe Jose was also there with him on campus, uh, you know, during that time and scoping out the location. Absolutely. Here's a, this was uh, his hearing, uh, his arraignment, and uh, obviously uh, he got no bond. There was no consideration of that. On Saturday, a judge denied bond for 26-year-old Jose Antonio Ibarra. He was arrested and booked into the athens Clark County Jail Friday night after his arrest and the death of 22-year-old Augusta University nursing student Lincoln Riley. He did not know her at all. Um, I think this was a crime of opportunity uh, where he saw an individual um, and uh, bad things happened. Police found Riley's body near Lake Herrick Thursday after a friend called them concerned when she didn't return home from a run. Police say she died from blunt force trauma. Fox News confirmed Barra was in the country illegally, crossing into El Paso from Venezuela in September of 2022 and was released into the country via parole. The evidence suggests that this was a solo act. Um, uh, we we took three or four people in custody. However, we're only going to arrest one in this case. Abara's brother, 29-year-old Diego Abara, was also arrested Friday for having a fake green card after athens Clark County police stopped him for matching the murder suspects. Those neck tattoos that you see on his brother are concerning to me. Uh, sometimes they are the sign of a gang, a yeah. gang sign tattoo, and um, I hope that they... They look into these things because and and of course all other tattoos on the person's body whether they be on their hands anything indicative of possible uh gang affiliation is very important to uh to check out description he's had several arrests since september of last year uj officials say diego used that fake green card to get a job as a dishwasher at bolton dining hall on uj's campus on february 6. officials say he failed to submit further documents to keep the job and was fired they added he was never paid governor brian kemp sent a letter to president joe biden saturday demanding answers saying quote the american people deserve to know who is illegally entering our country due to your administration's failure and what risks and challenges every state must face. Georgia Speaker of the House John Burns also released a statement Saturday saying, quote, House leadership will be pressing for answers over the coming days as to why exactly the suspect and his brother continue to roam freely in the Athens area. Democratic State Senator Jason Estevez stressed this is a time to mourn. He took to X saying, quote, Lake and Riley's family deserves a space to grieve without being used for cheap political points. Now, UGA officials did stress there is no longer a threat to the community after news of this arrest. We do know Riley's sorority will be holding a vigil at 3 p.m. on Monday. That'll be at Tate Plaza in her honor live this evening. You know, Mike, I don't think that, you you know, you can ignore uh, the politics of this. I don't think you can. And, you know, of course, shame on either side that tries to get political points from this. But it just happens to be a fact. That's part of the investigation. Is this person, who is he? Right. I talk about the purpology, studying the background. Who is he? Well, he's an illegal alien. He's not supposed to be here. That's part of the investigation. Now, if people are going to call that cheap politics, 
Uh, I don't think that's the case. You know, I think that you have to look into that. As I said, if it's part of the investigation, we also want to look deeply into his background to see if he had a political, excuse me, a criminal history in Venezuela. Tough to find that. Tough to dig. Where are we going to find that from? Where are we going to get that from? Is Venezuela going to cooperate with us when they're letting droves and droves of their worst, not their best, come into our country? So are they going to cooperate and send us his um, send us his criminal history? Answer that. Yeah, yeah, they're not, they're not, they're not going to cooperate with us. Why would they want to cooperate with us? Um, it appears that they are actually helping flood our borders with people. We have massive uh, people from South America, Chinese now. Um, you know, they, they need to get from, say, for instance, China across the uh, Pacific. Uh, you know, by plane to land somewhere in Mexico or whatever, you know, it takes money. These aren't these aren't poor uh, women with children and elderly men and women. These are, uh, you know, 18, 24 year old men coming into this country, single men coming into this country, you know, with the neck tattoos, you know, that sort of thing. Those things are when you see those things, you know, your 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 criminal justice antenna should pop up and say, you know, there's a warning here because this is not the kind of refugee person you would expect, you know, seeking political asylum. What we're seeing is a, a, a gender and an age bracket of potential and, and uh, you know, criminals in our country. We saw this with the uh, boat lift in 1980 from, from Cuba and all the mayhem that was caused in our southern states because of it and so that was uh 45 years ago that was the uh, marialitos yeah that's right that's right that's what the, the movie scarface was based upon was right that uh that's what created tony montana man right, <laughs> right. so this is a hundred times worse because there's a hundred times more people coming in and it's going on a lot longer it's been going on for three and a half years now and yeah. uh shame on us let's play a little bit of this we're going to hear from the head of uh the murder of a 22-year-old Georgia nursing student, Lakin Riley, is the Venezuelan uh, who reportedly crossed illegally into El Paso back in 2022 and was released into the U.S. on parole. Here to discuss, retired acting ICE director Ron Vidiello, along with Dan Rosenberg, who knows about stories like this all too well. His son was killed by an illegal immigrant. They both join us now. Uh, Dan, I'd love to start start with you. Um, I know you've spoken about this in the past. Your son was killed in a collision with an illegal immigrant. When you arrive at a moment like this, Dan, um, how does the fact that the, the perpetrator of a crime shouldn't have been in the country to begin with impact your grief? Well, it, you know, it makes it completely a preventable crime. Um, you know, there's always going to be... Uh, collision, traffic collisions, crimes that are committed, but these are committed by people who have no business being here. Um, had he not been here, and there was also opportunities to deport him, uh, my son would be alive. And, and tens of thousands of other people would be too. And certainly, um, you know, Lake and Riley wouldn't be a news story today. I think that's put very well, a preventable crime. Uh, we also have domestic crime. It's hard to wrap our minds around the fact that we import crime uh, to add to our, our troubles and your situation, Don, your grief. 
Uh, Ron, I'm going to put up the charges now for this for this Venezuelan illegal immigrant that killed uh, that has allegedly killed Lake and Riley in Georgia. Uh, you can see them on your screen. It's malice murder, felony murder, all the way down to kidnapping, uh, concealing the death of another. Uh, Ron, what I'd love to ask you is probably something that many people are asking themselves at home. So we now know how many times that 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 Jose Ibarra came into contact with the system. That first time he comes into the system, and we still, I haven't heard about his criminal background in Venezuela. How does Border Patrol check if what they have encountered is someone, you'll never know about their propensity for crime, but you will know about their history of crime? Let me start by giving my condolences to the Riley family and Dan as well. These are preventable crimes to the point. What happens in the system is when Border Patrol encounters people like this from wherever they are, they do the best they can, right? Everybody's fingerprinted into the system. That system is checked against the holdings that are in the United States. And that's important. Those are the holdings that the FBI and the databases that the states produce for people who have been previously arrested. Um, and so do we share stuff with Venezuela? Yeah, through Interpol and other mechanisms. But it's not like checking with the local sheriff whether this person has been arrested before or whether the FBI has their fingerprints in a database somewhere in the United States. So we're really dependent on agent observation about, you know, like gang tattoos, other, you know, uh, attributes that the person might have. We may know that they're a criminal. We may know from a different source like intelligence that they're criminal. But we're really dependent on the holdings of the United States government. And in the case of this gangster or this individual from Venezuela, we knew that they were from Venezuela. They may or may not have had documents. We don't even really know that um, it, it, based on the testimony that they give to agents in the field. And so this is the idea, well, of all the risks that we face when you have an out of control, chaotic border. These burdens come front and center to the Riley family, to Dan's family, and to families all across the world. Again, a preventable crime. And we know that in the case of Venezuela, you know, we let them sell oil on the international market without having a repatriation agreement during the most critical time when there were more people coming illegally from Venezuela than any other place in the world along our southwest border. Real quick as a follow-up, uh, Ron, it, you know, President Trump mentioned uh, prisons, for example, in somebody place like the Congo being emptied. There, there's been suspicions that Maduro and Venezuela is emptying his prisons. Uh, from your experience, I know that we have the Cuban Mariel boat lift when Castro emptied the prisons in Cuba. Is that something that you experienced in, in, in border enforcement, men who had clearly been spending time in prison being essentially imported to the United States? Yes, it's a constant threat inside the flow of when you have a chaotic border like this, that threat rises, not just at the border with the agents and the communities, but all across the country, because we know these people uh, are, are sneaking in because they couldn't come in otherwise. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, uh, we yeah. spoke about many of these things that they're talking about. And of course, uh, when our government says that, oh, we're checking them. No, you're not checking them mm -hmm. because... To check them, you have to have cooperation from their government because they lived their whole life in their country. A country like Venezuela that's not friendly with the United States is not going to try to share something that's negative with one of their people that's trying to leave their country who is an undesirable. They're going to try to expedite that and tell you nothing about this person. So I can tell you from an investigator's perspective also, having someone's fingerprints, having someone's headshot or mugshot, is so important in future investigations. Having someone's, um, you know, pedigree information, phone calls made, families, where addresses that they lived. 
So many of those things are important to the continuing investigation, and you have none of that. So when some of our government officials are asked that, and they say, oh, they're vetted, they're lying. They are absolutely lying to us. They are not vetted. Not. And you just heard the, the former head of ICE tell you that. Of course they're not vetted because the countries are not cooperating with these people that they want to get rid of. Yeah. They, you know, the Venezuela and these countries, they don't want to help America vet these people. And in fact, as they're coming across the border, maybe a percentage of them, I don't know, are getting their fingerprints taken and mugshots taken. And maybe there's like, you know, a sheet of eight and a half by 11 piece of paper with some information taken, but many more, probably a large majority I don't because we don't have a place where we could put them like a like a temporary prison camp over on the side where we can actually put them for like say 30 60 90 days while we get information internet from international cooperation from other countries to figure out whether or not these people are clear or not to actually be then allowed into our country on probation and uh, we don't have that so we're just bringing them uh, they're flying them into, uh, I've seen it here in Westchester, they fly them into Westchester County Airport, three o'clock in the morning, and they're dispersed. And, um, you know, that's the sad part about it. And when they talk about parole, he was admitted on parole. That's a joke, too. When he was admitted through El Paso, he got the pass to just go into the country. Um, nobody was going to know where he was going to be, who he was going to be with, what he was going to do. And when he was picked up in New York City, wouldn't that have been a violation of parole because he actually committed a crime? He should have been immediately uh, been said, look, you, you violated parole. We're, we're going to take you right back to El Paso and push you over the fence. But no, that didn't happen. You're right, Billy. You call it out. It's bullcrap and everyone knows it. Yeah. Let's play a little bit of Cuomo because I think Cuomo sort of, he sort of uh, acts like he's... Um, on board, but he pushes the sort of the, the the democratic narrative. You know, I don't think he can help himself from being that CNN reporter that he used to be. No, the chief said he didn't know, but he says he does know for sure that he is not a U.S. citizen and that he believes he is from Venezuela. Uh, the charges he in, he is facing include malice murder, uh, felony murder, aggravated battery, aggravated assault, false imprisonment, hindering a 911 call, and concealing the death. Uh, they say that this young woman died of blunt force trauma. Chris, it was a brutal beating. She went out for a jog. Uh, she's a nursing student. She didn't come home. The roommate was worried, called the police. Uh, they went out and looked near the intramural fields here at uh, the University of Georgia, and that's when they discovered her body. Brian, any indication on whether or not they believe this is a one-off or whether or not they have other unsolved homicides in the area or assaults? They said, yeah, right now they said no indication. You know, folks, the quote, the question Cuomo just asked, first of all, it takes a while to figure that out. All right. You definitely you look into similar cases in the area, uh, but you don't find that out in days. It takes weeks, sometimes months to find it out. Also, in this case, this Jose Ibarra, his DNA will be submitted to CODIS and they'll see if it matches any forensic DNA out there. Uh, and this is the first time, obviously, that his DNA is going into our CODIS combined DNA index system. So if he did commit any other crimes and they have the DNA from a crime scene, that's what forensic DNA is, it would be matched up. Many of you have suggested that 
his this crime fits the mo of the Rachel Morin case, and you're right, it does. However, I don't think the description. There's a picture of Jose Ibarra matches the mugshot of the perpetrator wanted for the Rachel Marin case, which they have DNA on it. So uh, if if Jose Ibarra is the killer of Rachel Marin, they will know that pretty damn soon because his DNA would match the DNA from that case. Uh, that, um, that he's involved in anything else, but they called this a crime of opportunity uh, and said that they did not know each other at all, that the victim and the suspect had no relationship that they know of. Again, she was just out jogging, um, and he apparently attacked her. Not part of any organization or group or anything else. They believe that this is the guy, and how did it come up uh, where he was from and what his legal status is? Yeah. The- did you see the face he made when he said that? Like, like he's upset that they looked into his his uh, his uh, immigration status. The chief just said it that he is not uh, a U.S. citizen. He lived in an apartment building, very, very close to near where um, where uh, Lakin's body was found. I want to read you a little bit of this, Chris, because I found this really touching. Her family has posted a statement on a GoFundMe, and this really was a wonderful young woman, Lakin. Uh, she was a class of 2025 nursing student um, here at the university. Uh, she um, was sweet. She was in Alpha Chi Omega when she was in the, at the university. Compassionate soul whose life was sadly cut short. No words can express the pain and heart uh, heartache that they feel. She was a wonderful friend, sister, daughter. Touched the lives of everyone. Her infectious smile and contagious laugh lit up every room she entered. Not only did she have a kind-hearted spirit, but she expel, excelled in academics. She was on the dean's list. She was a star cross-country runner. I mean, this young woman had everything ahead of her Um, and, uh, you know, just crime of opportunity. I mean, she was just out on a jog in the same place. You know, they keep saying crime of opportunity, but we don't know who this guy is. You know, he could be a career criminal from Venezuela. We have no idea who he is. And that's the danger of this. And when we just accept and then and of course, news reporters want to have the information 10 seconds after a crime occurs. Guess what? It takes a little bit a while. It's going to take some research to find out who this guy is. All right. He's been in this country only two years. Right. And he, uh, and he came in in El Paso, Texas, and then he was in New York for a while. But so that's not his history. He's 26 years old. His history was in Venezuela. Let's wait till we find out who this guy is. He could be a bad, bad dude. And we don't know it yet. She goes running every single morning. By the way, it was broad daylight. I mean, this was, you know, 9, 10 o'clock in the morning yesterday. Right. Look, crime of opportunity is another way of saying she was hunted by a monster. Um, and this yeah. is one of our best being taken out by one of our worst. Brian Anton, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Uh, now, uh, we'll stay on this story because this guy not being a U.S. citizen is going to resonate. Okay. It's not Anton's job. It's not my job. But you're going to hear it in politics. Now, let me just give you some context. How many homicides do we have in the United States annually? Homicide is where someone causes the death of another. About 19,000 in 2023. The number's high, right? It's actually down about 12, 14%, depending on what blend you look at data-wise. 77% of you think that number is up. Why? Because of how we demonize in our party politics. See, no, I disagree. I totally disagree. Because first of all, as part of any criminal investigation, 
You want to know who this perp is. And part of how he's here and what he's doing here is part of the investigation. And the other side tries not to release this information. I mean, how long did it take for the shooters at the Kansas City uh, Super Bowl celebration? How long did it take for them to identify him? Or right. them, not even him, them. Why? Why did they do that? That's political. So he's claiming this is political. No, it's not political. It is when the, the uh, newspapers and the uh, talking heads and, and you, they, they dwell upon it for clicks and for audience. However, it's part of a criminal investigation to find out what I describe in a canonism as perpology, the study of the perp. Who is he? Where's he been? Where's he from? We need to know all of those things. How many of those homicides are committed by non-citizens? 0.00005%. 29 last year. But the illegals commit a lot more crime than citizens, right? Wrong, unless you include their illegal entry. The arrest rate for non-citizens. But this is such crap. You know what I mean? It's it, You're comparing like apples and, and watermelons, really, because there's way more citizens of the United States, of course, than there are illegal immigrants. So to compare the crime statistics, the point is, Chris Cuomo, is that they're not supposed to be here. Right. They broke the law in coming here. So if they commit any crime, then it's on our government. It's against our government. It's not political. They don't belong here. They're here illegally. So if you want to stand and grandstand and start comparing statistics, they do not belong here. Committing any crimes whatsoever is half of that for citizens. Now, here's my point. Everybody knows the border is a problem. They shouldn't have to scare you. The realities are frightening enough. Everyone should know that your leaders choose not to fix it because the problem works better for them politically than any solution. Isn't that, you know, something I agree with him on that. Isn't that yeah, scary? Yes, absolutely. Mike, that's scary, right? That our, our, our political leaders choose not to fix it because it's better for them politically not to fix it than it is to fix it. So the hell with the American people, the hell with safety, the hell with the taxpayer, them getting reelected is more important. I find that scary. It is, Billy. It's been going on since since um, since I can recall from the 1970s. The border has been a disaster. Um, we can fix it sometimes. We we put up uh, sections of fencing and things like that. And maybe we've gotten it down in the past to a, a dribble of people coming through. But, you know, the, the same politicians who could kick the can down the road for a generation and not actually join together for, uh, through as political parties and come together and do something for the in the interest of and would actually benefit every single American in this country. You you can't trust them, and so therefore, when they open up the floodgates again uh, with a with a quick executive order, we're flooded with illegal immigrants. You know, nobody has to scare you. You could just look at the TV every single day without commentary. No one can accuse Chris Como of being Einstein. This is a gentleman who, when they were talking, when they were talking about um, mostly peaceful riots, um, he's the one that said, you know, whoever said that that demonstrations have to be, you know, peaceful. Right, right. I love that. I remember that. Remember, that's the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, the Bill of Rights. He was supposed to be an attorney from Yale. 
Yeah, you know, shocking. No, no, he went to Fordham, Mike. Fordham. Oh, Fordham. He went to Yale right. undergrad, and then he okay. went to Fordham Law School. He's got a law degree from Fordham, and right. he's the same he's guy. That, he's the same guy that asked the Kansas City attorney of the um, the guy who was the uh, uh, Joshua was no Jordan was his name Jordan. Jordan's attorney. He's the same guy that asked him. Don't you think your client should just come out and get ahead of this? What attorney would give his client yeah. that suggestion? Yeah, this, this you know, he, he can't help himself. Mr. Como has been a part of politics, deeply embedded in politics for for his whole life. So there's for, therefore he can't escape it. He can't see it from a, a neutral point of view. He has to see it from one particular point of view. Uh, and that's sad because what he has just done is poo-pooed what Brian Hinton had talked about and saying, like, oh yeah, there's there's no there's no danger. Are you? Of course, there's danger. Are you kidding me? Don't put your head in the sand. Take your head out of the sand and look around. But he can't help it. Lieutenant Peter Pranzo, this is a prime example of how a lax law enforcement system pertaining to an overrun immigration mess is plaguing America. Lieutenant Pete, you hit it on the head. Right. Uh, that's so true. And let me just finish with Cuomo. We'll finish up with what he had to say. Why? Because it keeps you scared. Makes it easy to keep you divided. Who's got no heart? Who's got no brain? It makes it easier for them to get votes. And that's why you just saw that bill come and go, just like that. But the idea that illegals are driving murders and making us less safe, it's no more true now than it was when Katie Steinle's murder was abused for political advantage. The truth is enough. The border is broken. Bad things are going to happen when people come in unchecked and unregulated and unvetted. There's no reason to make it up into a boogeyman. The reality and the truth is enough for you to demand action. I would agree with that. He said something actually that uh, was <laughs> No, I mean, yeah, yeah, every once did. in a while, every 20 things, he may say two things that are actually uh, I true. Remember, a broken yeah. clock is, is right twice a day. Remember that. <laughs> That, that's true. But I mean, yeah, he was uh, he's right there. And this yeah. is such a sort of combustible issue, you know, sure. and, it, and it really shouldn't be. It really should be a, a, this explosive issue. It should be. It, it, I mean, right now, the laws on the books are, you know, they're the laws. And right. yet I don't know how many actual sanctuary cities, sanctuary states are in this country, but there's quite a few. And that goes against current law so if we preach that we are a country of laws then we should be following the law however that's not what's happening is it no 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 the there are people who are political leaders i won't mention their name they take oaths when they come into office to uh you know follow the constitution and make and ensure that the laws are faithfully executed um that's not happening and we see that at levels of even in state government we see um you know, uh, establishing sanctuary cities, uh, city government, establishing safe zones um, and American citizens and poor black, white, Hispanic American citizens who need help aren't getting it because they're, they're being substituted. Their place is being substituted for the illegals coming in uh, shelters, food, you know, clothing, uh, cards. I think we we're even giving them bicycles or something at one point in New York City. It's just an amazing cornucopia of nonsense for people who actually aren't even supposed to be there when it's actually supposed to be for our poor citizens who who are being substituted with uh, the substitutions 
are the illegals. It's very scary. It's happening county level, city level, state level, and even at the federal level. Absolutely. Folks, if you're looking for a great attorney in the New York metropolitan area, then Joe Murray is your man. Joe's a retired NYPD police officer who's a fantastic defense attorney. You can reach Joe at 718-514-3855. Email him at joe at jmurray-law.com. Go on his website, jmurray-law.com. Not only is Joe a fantastic defense attorney, but a huge supporter of the Police Off the Cuff podcast. There's a little picture of Joe up on the screen. And he's been supporting this show for quite a number of years. In fact, we used to have him on as a, a guest quite often, but all of a sudden he got shy and he doesn't uh, he doesn't appear on the show anymore. So we we miss him and we invite we still invite him, but uh, maybe because of this commercial, he's so busy. <laughs> he's getting so many clients from us. So Mike, that's uh, you know this is the most um, tragic one of the most tragic cases we've seen in a very long time. Again. We don't want to lose fact that this is all about Lakin Riley, a shining star, a nursing student, 22 years old. We say prayers. We we, uh, we feel for her family, her friends, the university, uh, everyone in, in that town that knows her. It's just a um, horrific crime. And um, yeah, I'll pull up. This is that's a great. Four pictures of a, tri a tribute to her life to see the bright, shining star in which in which she is in in those uh, four photos. It's just a great cross country runner. Uh, she had a lot of things to offer this world, and it snuffed out at the yeah. age of twenty two. Mike, your um your final thoughts. Just to thank everyone for tuning in and listening to the podcast today, and also to just remember. You know, to uh, hold on to your children, give them a hug. Never, ever uh, take for granted that they, you know, that they know you love them. Remind them every day, uh, life is precious and your life can change in, in, in an instant. And so we should always remember that and be grateful for the time we have with our friends and family. It's very, very precious. Very well said, Mike. I really appreciate those those remarks. And folks, uh, if you if you don't, Think of it, you know, say a prayer for uh, Lincoln Riley's family, for her, and for the, the university commu community, University of Georgia. This is Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Have a great rest of your Sunday. Okay. One episode, just